Hello and welcome to another episode of the UK Airshow Review Podcast, the podcast we started when we had no airshows to review. My name is Sam and joining me today are... Nice. And Ian is also joining us, but I don't know whether he heard that or not. Um, and you'll you'll probably re- recognise his dulcet tones if he does chime in later on. But also joining us today is Graham Buckle, uh, volunteer aircraft restorer and team leader on the Armstrong Whitworth Meteor uh, NF14 WS788 at Yorkshire Air Museum, as well as uh, dipping his toes in an enormous number of other aircraft and various other projects. Um, Graham, thank you very much for coming on the episode. Hello, how are we uh, all doing? Not bad, thank you. Oh, and Ian has just dropped out of our. Oh, he's, he's just he's just off the end so, of the screen. Um, maybe we're not going to be hearing Ian later on. But uh, in any case, uh, so Graham, you're you're here to tell us all about the meteor and everything else you do, and mm-hmm. we yeah. look forward to hearing that. But before we get mm-hmm. on to that, why don't you start off by? Telling us all about yourself. Uh, how did you get into museums and restoration, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Well, long story short, growing up where I did on East Yorkshire coast, we had a basically had an air show every day. It was just down the coast from me, Calvin Range, and all through the eighties and into nineties, you'd have all the wonderful stuff like Buccaneers, um, Jaguars, all that sort of thing, F one elevens, A tens, all that. Just working the range every day, just tooting down the seafront right out the side of my window, and you can't help but not get into it with stuff like that going on outside. Then we used to go to Finningley every year for the air show. Um, we got we got pretty lucky with that because my dad, at the time, because of his job, he got in there every year. Mm. So because he got there, we got to go in there and the RF Treaders like Royalty looked after us. Um, so yeah, it was always going to be something aeroplane. Um, went to the Air Force, couldn't get in for medical reasons. Uh, due to some damage to my hand. Um, I'll never forget the words from the, the guys there, you'll never be able to fix anything. <laughs> oh really <laughs> are you sure about that so that's uh, still always a thing with aircraft um i got into restoring classic cars as a hobby and then one day i got bored of that yet another session of lying on the garage floor with bits of mgb sill falling into my face and i thought it's probably more fun than this type of thing mm. do so obviously over on the old the old key publishing forum the old fly class forum i was following everything on there including the victor at uh, eldington and I sort of got in touch and I said, do you need a hand? And I said, mm, yeah. So I rocked up there one day and within about half an hour I was leaving the back of the Victor helping remove a Ramair turbine scoop. <laughs> <laughs> I was on that old lump for... Straight, straight in at the deep end there. Yeah, the oh, God, yeah. And I was on that for about seven years or so. And then it got to the point where the aircraft was that serviceable. All we were doing was rocking up, blowing up tyres and there was not a lot to do then. When you're trekking across the option to do that, it's... So went into office one day and said, look, there's something else I can do. And he said, ha-ha, you're the idiot we've been waiting for. Here's a list of aeroplanes. So I went out and had a look at the ones on offer, and one of them was the NF-14. And she was sat out in a puddle at the back of the back of the hangar looking quite sad. And I went and looked at this ugly aeroplane that nobody loved and thought, yep, that's the machine for me. And it just went from there. So, I mean, other than its, its need of restoration, why why, why the Meteor? What, what drew you to that? It was, I, I really did feel sorry for the thing. Um, it had been brought inside by, it was going to be worked on by some French students. We used to have a French exchange student mm-hmm. scheme come to us, and their summer project was going to be to come and sort it out, make it look nice, and throw it back outside again. Um, they took the outer wings off it, nose off it, tail off it, some other random bits off it, pulled it inside, and then spent most of their time with us asleep. I'm not joking, I actually found them one day asleep on some airliner seats. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's, so, a joke, there's a joke to be made there about the French, I, I, but uh, I'm good, I'm, I, I dare not I'm make it. I'm going to swerve it on this one. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, <laughs> they went back. They went back to France at the end of their time with us, and they needed the space back in the building. So the poor old meteor, still without her wings and things, went outside, mm-hmm. wrapped up in a trailer um, curtain sheet, and I just felt so sorry for it. So I thought, you know, we can see what we do with this. Um, yeah, <laughs> just. just it just seems to snowball. It's gone from let's make it look nice to see what works. So to, let's see what we can make work. So avid UCAR forumites will be very familiar with your uh, restoration thread on mm. our forum. Yeah. Uh, which I would like to say on. thank thank you to everybody who does follow it. I mean, I, I, I keep half an eye on the reader numbers mm. on there, and it really does. I mean, we we see, we see love the, it. But... See, yeah. Seeing the numbers of readers actually going up and up and up, and you just think it is worthwhile actually spending the time sitting there and writing it, and it, it does mean a lot to us. Well, it's it's a great insight into how certainly lengthy a process it is, even on a, a museum aircraft. Yeah. Obviously, something that's that's never going to fly again. But and that's that thread's been going on for about four years now. But mm. yeah, we, we we moved over to you guys when um, the key thread, the key forum went um, yeah. a little bit strange. Yeah, so we thought, well, course, we, we need yes. to find we need to find a new home. And fortunately, UCAR were very accommodating for us and set up basically an entire um, historic aviation section for the likes of us, the Shackleton guys, um, Newark, everybody who mass migrated across from Key. Mm. And it was it was very good that they did that. And it gave us basically it gave us all a new home. Mm. So talk us talk us through the restoration. I mean, from <laughs> from from the start, you you say it's on the back of a trailer, looking sorry for yourself. How where, how do you start a project like that? How do you work out what needs doing? It, it was around the back of the um, back of the hangar. It was in um, in a corner there. Mm. It was just sat, oh, looking okay. very yeah. sad. Yeah. And we had to work out what was where. We went and found where the outer wings had been put. Um, there was various panels and things had gone missing. I think we had to go trawling around site to find where they'd gone, where the people who'd been working on it then gone back home and put them. And we started out with just looking at the aeroplane and saying, "What the." Hell have we got left of this thing? Um, how, I, how I tell visitors now is we started with about 60% of an aircraft. Externally, she was all there, but everything internally had gone. Um, now we're up to the point where we physically have probably 95% of an aircraft. Uh, it's not all fitted at this time, so obviously we're working our way through the aeroplane. But we now physically have about 90, 95% of a, a meteor. But we just kept opening panels up and going, oh, God. <laughs> and then open another panel up and go, Oh god! <laughs> and then go to open another panel up, and it wouldn't open, and go, oh god! Oh, <laughs> and it, it was just thoroughly pillaged. In in her history, she'd been parts reclaimed at uh, Kemble when she retired, mm-hmm. and then after that, she'd gone to uh, Patrington on the gate there, and then after that, she'd gone to Leeming. And at the time she was at Leeming, the vintage pair were administered out of Leeming, and so all their spares were held at Leeming. And if there was anything they needed for the T seven Meteor. They went to the spa- you know to spares and went mm, no we ain't got one. They then sneaked towards the gate guard with uh, a screwdriver. <laughs> so there was, a, there was a, a hell of a lot went missing off her up there. <laughs> there was a, a lot of a lot of yoinking went on. She was a poor old beast. I didn't realise that it was the ex Lehman gate guard. I wonder if I go back in my photo collection, I'll have a picture somewhere. She she was outside the I think it was station headquarters. Because that was how she came up for disposal, was she fell victim of the RAF one gate, one guard policy. Oh, I believe really? that at the time, late, very late 80s, Leeming had Spitfire, uh, Javelin and the Meatbox. Mm-hmm. And they were told, you're getting rid of some of these, Sunshine. 
Um, obviously, they went, ooh, Spitfire, ka-ching, sold it, and then tossed the coin between the javelin and the meat box and kept the javelin. So they, they hung the meteor under a Chinook and flew it across to the fire dump and dumped it on the fire dump. So there you go, lads. And then somebody a bit higher up the tree went, hang on, we should be burning this. We can make a bit of money out of this. So it then came back off the fire dump and was put up for disposal. So how much of a yeah. challenge is it sourcing the parts that you need to source <clears> then for something like that? It's interesting. We've Some of it we've had a lot of support from people like Mike Davey and Bruce Gordon, people like that who basically said, come and visit my shed. I have all of the things. <laughs> right, right at the beginning of the project, Mike got in touch with us and said, come and see me. I'm in Skelmersdale. Bring a transit van. You'll need it. <laughs> and we did this. And we went home with a tranny van that was very good at staring at the sky because of the amount of stuff in the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was peering over the bonnet to see where I was going. <laughs> but uh, we've, we've had some, some interesting experiences of gathering bits. I mean, some of it's the easy, easy stuff like eBay, aero jumbles, things like that. You know, Newark aero jumbles has been invaluable both for buying parts and for networking people going, oh, yeah, I've got one of them. Mm. Yeah, you can have that. It's... A lot of it is see, finding out what people have got and persuading them you want it more than they do, um, and seeing what you know what they need, what, what you can help them with. Probably the most interesting spares gathering expedition went on was um, a wreck at Sennybridge at the range <laughs> on one of the, on one of the twenty days of the year it wasn't getting shot at. Wow! How much was left? I will say it was given. It was done with permission. We we had full permissions from the MOD to go and do this. Of course. Um, it was an F-8 that was put there. She was uh, X-63 squadron, and then she went to St. Athen as a ground instruction layer frame. And then she was put out on the range as a marker. Fortunately, she spent most of the time there as a marker rather than as an actual live target. And then she got moved to the point where they thought, let's make her into a meteor-shaped colander instead. <laughs> um, it was nose, well, front bulkhead, back to the end of the tail, and the centre section of the wing, so out to just outboard of each engine itself. And it was holier than the Easter Sunday. <laughs> but we managed to get a lot of stuff off it. Stuff like the, there was um, the elevator um, lay shaft that translates the elevator control from rods. It's about half about on the fuse, actually. It, you go from rods all the way from the stick to the lay shaft and cable from there back. And we couldn't get one of these lay shafts for the money. And amazingly, this meteor had one in. So we um, we removed it the, the easy way, which involved an angle grinder. Mm. Um took it home and restored it. And now it's on the jet, it's on 788. Uh, we did keep one of the bullet holes in it, just as little knot to where it came from. Um, the air brakes, things like that, the top air brakes off, that are on, are going on 788 came off it. The one on the port side, it was actually third hand, because you look at the data plates on it, it's Meteor 4. So it had been second hand when it went onto the 8, and then we <laughs> liberated it off the 8, and it's now on a 14. Yeah. So there's... there's... Um, a lot of commonality between the various marks that you find yeah. lying around. Yeah. Um, you find a lot of the the centre section and the fuselage and the rear fuselage is common with eights. The outer wings aren't really common with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nose end, to an extent, is common with the early RNFs and T7s. But it's only to an extent. Basically, what happened was Gloucesters were building the F8. And... Um, they were looking towards building the javelins, and at the time the Arabs still had uh, mosquito night fighters. And the stuff that the Russians were rolling out at the time, you ain't going to do a lot against one of them with a mosquito. So 
air minister went to Gloucester's and said, uh, this, this meteor thing you've been nailing together, can you, do you think you can make a night fighter out of it that's a little bit quicker than a Aussie? And Gloucester's turned and said, no, we're busy, bugger off. So they side-slipped it across to Armstrong Whitworth, who were obviously part of the, the same group. And so Armstrong Whitworth did all the design work on the outer wings and the nose, based on the T7 airframe, but with the, the F8 back end. And that's why it's an Armstrong Whitworth meteor if it's an NF. Um, because they had to move, they had to redesign the outer wings. They went back out to the full span that the three had had. They had to move the guns out there, because if you think, if you stick a British early, well, any British electronics in the front of an aeroplane, then you stick two hoofing grip 20mm cannons either side of it. Mm. As soon as you fire them cannons, them electrics are just going to go, no, nah, I don't want to play anymore. Then you've lost your radar. So if you put the big bangy sticks further away from the really sensitive electric bits, you've got half a chance of being able to use it all more than once <laughs> without having to go home and get somebody to hit it with a stick and make it work again. So, yeah, so Armstrong Whitworth did the redesign, built all of them at Coventry at Baggington, and the NF-11s rolled out. They, were, they did the job. They were a bit quicker than a mozzie. Um, go for about two hours in one. Um, they were all right. Then they mm. tropicalised it with the, the 13, which is basically an NF-11 with aircon. And you were out in Egypt and places like that. You remember when we had an empire? All that sort of thing going on. Then we decided we didn't have an empire and also sold them to Syria and Egypt. And, <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, the Egyptians used them against us then in the Suez. Yeah. So, yeah, tr- they tr- tried to get a Valiant with one. Um, the Valiant crew were just laughing, looking down at it about 20,000 feet below them. Peeing themselves laughing, I believe. But uh, then they brought the 13 out, which had a better radar. And then they brought out the 14, which was like the GTI version. And that had the, the sliding canopy, the, the big Derwent engines, big nines. Mm. And yeah, I was just one of them. And she was built very back end of 53, end of service early 54. And she was obsolete as soon as she came into service, really. Because around that time, the javelins were coming in and they were just yeah. so much more capable. Um, to some degree. <laughs> All right, they were slightly less in. They, they they were yeah. more capable than an NF than a meteor. Yeah, they, were, they were a slightly more polished turd than a meteor was. <laughs> <laughs> Marginally shinier with a bit of glitter on the top. But um, yes, seven eight eight. She she served with one five two squadron for about two and a half years, and then she was declared obsolete. So she got chucked out. Um, and she got chucked out to Kirkbride, where she was put in store pending disposal. And then the area went, well, hang on. We're bringing these javelins in. We're looking ahead to the fans and things like that. We need to teach some. We need something that's a reasonably fast jet, you know, a two-seater, which we can use to teach future navigators how to get lost competently at low level and reasonable speed. So they pulled twelve of the meteors off the scrap pile, and mm. um, took the radar out, took the guns out, threw hundred, I think it's hundred thirty-six pounds of steel boilerplate in the nose to replace the radar, the ballast. Um, gave him a shiny new paint job and said, there you go, lads, 12 NFT-14s. Put Rebecca and G, uh, G in the back instead um, and crack on. And yeah, for the next 10, 12 years, she flew doing nav training. And that's why we're going for the nav trainer colour scheme, because it's what she did for most of her life. And yeah. everybody else in this country has done theirs is in NF colours, so everybody else is camouflaged, so we thought, let's do something a bit different. Well, it's an awesome story <laughs> to tell, really, isn't it? I mean, it's obviously... <laughs> Was never sort of the most uh, flashy or glorious fight that the RAF ever had. No. But in terms of being a workhorse, I mean, it, it le- really mm. laid the foundations, didn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah she uh, there was. There's been a number of navigators who've come through and been to the museum and then come through. Oh yeah, I trained on them. I remember that one. I think I flew in that bloody thing. 
Thank you. I was thinking that one. Yeah, I, I, I did notice your, your, your post last week, which which actually made me think how you know the absolute progress you've made since the beginning. Because mm. you know, starting on that thing, like Sam alluded to, I wouldn't know where to start. I guess you just mm. got started, uh, but up to the point of last week where you had some some veterans in there, didn't you? Um, yes. That were you know sitting in that cockpit, and the cockpit was alive, and you know the thing feeling like an aeroplane. Mm. So from very early in the project, we've had particularly two veterans who supported us. I don't know, but I believe one of them has now passed. He was a chap called Peter Verney, um, and he he found us on the, the flypast forum, and he sent us pictures of 788 that he took from another meteor back at the very beginning of her career. Um, and Keith, Keith Saunders, who was with us last week, he was a nav instructor on two-air navigation school. And his, hang on, let me get this right, in 1962, his last RAF jet flight was in the back of 788, leading the Diamond 9 of the last nine two-air navigation school NF-14s from Thorny Island to Stradishall when um, they closed at Thorny Island. So that was that was his very last RAF jet flight. He got wow. to leave that formation. And that was the last, until he came to visit us, that was the last time he'd sat in that cockpit. Um, and yeah, like, like he did, I mean, he's been to SEALs, partway through the project and like he did then he brought his bone done with him that he was wearing on the day he brought copies of his logbook of that page and it's quite a special thing isn't it? Um, we, we did a well we didn't do a little surprise his son did a little surprise he hadn't told anybody including us that he was rocking up he got there before Keith hid in the rear cockpit and then when Keith came into anger just popped up the other side of the cockpit <laughs> hello <laughs> <laughs> jumped out and booed him which she really shouldn't do to a bloke of 90 <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I thought yes it's a great idea but health and safety ahoy <laughs> I thought this could be wonderful and awesome but could also go horribly horribly wrong mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story and, it, and the chances of the aeroplane not only surviving but you know mm. coming coming back to life and, oh, yeah. and that must be brilliant for him and well, she, she's, for the family She's been under the under the threat of the axe at least probably five times that I can think of. But going back to the, the people side of things, don't know if it's a thing you've seen on the forum, but um, we started quite early on in the project. If we get anybody comes in and basically makes themselves known to us, of, oh yeah, I was on Meteors, I was ground crew, I was aircrew, this, that and the other. We'd have a, a hatch on the starboard side and we get them sign the inside of it. Oh, lovely. Because, as has been proved, they won't be here forever. Mm. But the aeroplane, as long as we don't have a nasty, horrible hangar fire, the aeroplane will be, mm. and therefore their mark will always be on the jet. And we're very keen to like, tell the human side of the meteor story as well as the piece of metal you see in the hangar. So well, I mean, of course, that's, that's the thing we do. That's really the most important thing about keeping these aircraft in shape and preserved mm. and all the restoration work that you and, and everyone else does on oh, yeah. on, on or any of these plates. That's the whole point, is, is to mm. keep that memory and those stories alive yeah. and have a, a way of educating those stories to people and show that of course mm. you know you've got the airplane itself and the technology that it is but also people flew these things and it was part yeah. of a military history and all of that and and um, that's a fantastic um, that's a really fantastic way of doing it and they also maintained them the guys who looked after them they uh, of course them on there as well. um we have one chap who sadly has passed away uh, cliff winfield he was an instrument fitter on NF-11s out in Germany. And he came and told us some awesome stories. Um, 
made himself known to us because we just had some fuel gauge sending units delivered. Now I was there trying to work out how they works and making sure they're serviceable, this, that, and the other. And he's just stood there with, I think it was his granddaughter we had with him. And he said, You're out of service then? I said, Well, I'm just working out. I said, Do you want me to show you? Yeah, go on then. So he came over. A little meter going, yep, yep, that's fine, that's fine, that wants this doing, that wants this doing. Went through them all. It's like, oh, cheers for that, mate. <laughs> and he just spent however long with us just chatting. And he used to come back quite regularly. And he has, sadly, he has now passed. But, he, you know, he's always one of those characters that we remember. Mm. We remember him very fondly indeed. Um, he, he told us one of the one of the many stories we get told. We, we, everything just stops when we have a media bloke come in because we like to hear the stories. But, uh, He'd done a job on an NF-11 out in Germany, um, so a pilot took it up for a test run, um, tested it, what he'd repaired on it. Yep, everything's fine, hunky got a cat, and what it was he'd fixed on it. And so they went for a bit of a jolly, and this jolly involved flying past the West German Parliament at zero feet. <laughs> Unfortunately, the West German Parliament was in session that day, and somebody looked out the window and got the serial number of the jet. Um, about Blimey. 30 seconds after, mm. about thir- well, it's painted big under the wings. True, um, yeah, about, of course. About 30 seconds after they'd done this, and they were just flying away, chuckling gently to themselves, um, call came over the radio. On the ground, now, in front of the station commander, interview without biscuits. And yes, they got a rollicking for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, obviously Cliff didn't, because he was in the back and he played the, I was just there, I was, I was on the own for the ride, yeah, I didn't have sure. anything to do with it. <laughs> so he basically totally threw his pilot under the bus, but there we go. Yeah, so I think I think whomever you talk to from those days has got some sort of tale of of oh. hijinks and japes and all that sort of thing. They think it's yeah. a far cry from what the military is now, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, you, you get to hear some legendary stuff, and like I say, whenever somebody comes in who's ex ex media, everything just stops, and we just pull up a sandbag and listen. Mm. I mean, if you read the uh, Meteor Boys, the Grub Street book, which I'm. Mm. I'm guess you, you must have done at some point ah, um, yeah it's on the shelf behind me it i mean it is a remarkable dif- uh, remarkably different era isn't it like it, mm. it was just particularly different maybe times. that post-war immediately mm. post-war era as well where yeah, yeah. people felt like it was the good times and <laughs> nothing it was, was going to happen was, and yeah, and, and you read that as well, though, and you realise how lethal those things were. Um, oh, yeah, that the, as number, well. the number of losses, and that, that mm. would, and that's in peacetime. And you think, well, you know, society's changed now. People will be up in arms with that sort of mm. uh, um, fatality rate. But those guys that flew the early jets, it's absolutely uh, sobering. Mm. Um, mm. Realise how many of them didn't make the, didn't make it through the flying training. You know, it was. Oh. Uh, also, bear, bear in mind on the two seaters, the T sevens and the NFs, you don't have ejection seats. No. Did they not? You have a, no. no. No, they did not have ejection seats. They, you've got a pressed seal seat, um, oh which God. little interesting factoid for you. Apart from one little bracket, is identical to the hurricane seat. Wow. <laughs> and that is why a lot of the T birds and NFs in the eighties, somebody realised this, and suddenly all these seats. Oh, hang on. That's gone from being a hundred quid worth of meteor seat to a thousand pounds worth of broken seats, and that's why a lot of the meteors suddenly magically lost the seats at that time. Unfortunately, right, we've got ours. Okay, but yeah, that's why you you see a lot missing the seats for absolutely no obvious reason whatsoever. That's really weird. That's that's really mm. that's I love that kind of fact. Mm. That's yeah, amazing. There's one there's one tiny little bracket different. And, that's it. <laughs> and I presume it then makes it getting them getting a hold of them if you need a new one. 
Oh, they, they are. They are pretty much made of unobtainium now. Yeah. There was um, something like Bakelite, weren't they? In the um... the very very early ones were, and the early vampires were. But on on the meat box, it's a it's a aluminium seat on the on the NF fourteen. They're not the most comfortable thing in the world, but I mean, you know, maximum you're going to be sat in there with two hours. Well, I presume you'd be it. sat in, you'd be sat in a parachute as well, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, they're things. they're really 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 comfortable things to sit on. Said nobody ever. <laughs> Bloody horrible things. <laughs> That's why we've got a posh leather cushion in 788. <laughs> we don't intend to do any bailing out at hangar floor level, and it's more pleasant on the backside. When you're in there working on the blue thing, working on the instrument, I'm asking you want a D-ring where no man should have a D-ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's the the most challenging part of working on these things? Walking into the hangar and looking at it going, oh, bloody hell, now we've <laughs> um, the, the, the biggest challenge that 788 is thrown at us is the electrics. Mm-hmm. The problem is well, actually, your 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 post today, I think, wasn't it? Was oh uh, yes, the 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 aeroplane was perilously close to getting wheeled out of the hangar and burnt on Saturday <laughs> because it was just plain silly buggers. It it really was. It was like, oh yeah, I'm fixed now. I'm fixed. Now, I'm fixed now. Okay, let's just test it one more time before I go home. I'm not fixed anymore. <laughs> How? What has changed? <laughs> you haven't moved. What's suddenly gone wrong? How have you unfixed yourself? But the the big problem with it. She retired in 66, January 6, 1966 for her last flight. And it was into Kemble. And that was one of the times she was up for scrapping. She was pillaged of useful parts, engines, radios, everything like that came out of her. And then for some reason, which we haven't quite got to the bottom of, I can only assume he had some personal um, link to the aircraft. Uh, the officer commanding area, Patrington, requested the airframe for his gate guard at, at Patrington radar station, just, just down the coast from me here. So... Crash and smash took it apart, moved it there, put it back together. But when they took it apart, instead of undoing the wiring looms, they just chopped straight through them. Jeez. So at every transport joint, every loom had been cut. And you're talking through from the cockpit to the centre section, there's one, two, three, four or five looms, the thickness of your wrist, all been cut through. And the joyful thing, it's not like your car, you know, we get a red wire and mm. a blue wire and a green wire and a black wire. All of those wires are either blue or yellow. So you've got to bell each one through individually and work out what it is. Yeah, nightmare. Joys of nineteen forties. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's it's emotional. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> you must be a very very patient man um, to. Uh, 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 I, I, I don't know. I don't know how. I think no. I think it's just stubbornness. I think it's just sheer <laughs> bloody mindedness and stubbornness. Because way back in the beginning, there were people saying, "Oh, you'll never do anything about this, that, and the other." So I, I have this knack, well, not say, this um, probably bad habit. Somebody says something like that to me, it's like, right, hold my beer. And I'll do what I can to make it you know, proven wrong. So, yeah, the, the stubborn streak in me keeps it going. Mm. I mean, there's a lot, it, the other thing being, we, we did a lot of it this year. We did a lot of the wire joints this year. Um, but there comes a point you go, right, okay, I've done enough of that now. At least there's always something else to go on to on the meeting. You can go up and do, make a make a bit of bracketry or make a panel up, stuff like that. There's always something else to do. Then you can come back to it again. There's always something to keep you fresh so you don't get completely jaded with it because that would be so easy to do. Um, especially when you're looking at blue wire after blue wire after blue wire after blue wire. Mm. You just get up sat there under the aeroplane looking at its wiring room and basically rocking and going... Because <laughs> you're just going mad at all these bloody looms. <laughs> and then you think you've got them all and then another one jumps out the, out the uh, metal and goes, hiya, 
Not about me, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, it's just a phenomenal amount of uh, uh, patience and and just perseverance, really. Mm. I mean, how, how how many years have you been going at it now, Graham? With it? Oh. Since, since that since it was do covered it, in the blue tarpaulin. Do excuse me while I open another one of the things that the meteor team runs on. <laughs> the beer. Oh, um, I thought you were going to say Jaffa cake then, because you've been through a few of those. There are, there, are, there are two fuels for the meteor team. <laughs> one is beer. Um, mine is my particular choice is all peculiar. And Jaffa cakes. That's what fuels us, and a little bit of rage and stubbornness. But we started and very, swearing. very. Oh, there's lots of that going on. We started at the very, very end of 2015, like December 2015. This first cast eyes on it went. Are we going to do this? Or rather, I cast eyes and went. Am I going to do this? And then some other people came on and went. Yeah, we'll come and do this. And the gone. People have come and gone. But yeah, so very end of 2015. Um, and then we lost two years to COVID. Really, I mean the. The first couple of years, we were outside, um, and we used a lot of that working out what the hell we had of the aeroplane, mm. what we needed to find for the aeroplane, learning the aeroplane, because bear in mind, I've never touched a meteor before, and now I know more, than, more about the bloody things and good for me, I'm sure of it. But um, yeah, the first couple of years was working out what was missing and how we could get it and who we could get it from, and how we could go about actually fixing the aeroplane, working out what we had to do to the aircraft with what we've got, so sorting all the corrosion on the aircraft starting dealing with that, making a plan to deal with that. She's not bad on that score at all. Um, opening panels, looking at things and pretending we haven't seen what was in there, the devastation and cut wires and general sadness. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been a case of, right, let's just see what we can find and where we can find it from. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's stuff like all of the control rooms have been removed. Everything from literally the stick base back was gone. Um, going through the wings, even the rollers that the aileron control rods go through were gone. The brackets they mount on had gone. It had been so pillaged, it's untrue. You, you wouldn't believe it. Start putting things back into it, you think, oh, no, there's all of a sudden not a lot of room in there. But you, you, you lend a hand on some of the other aircraft, don't you? Which I guess must, yeah. must break up some yeah. the anger and rage a little bit. <laughs> well, depends if you, if you consider painting a buccaneer breaking up the anger and rage. <laughs> <laughs> what? Is it not? Yeah, to be fair, it was That sounds nice. pretty It was relaxing. a nice... Um, it was a nice sort of shift change, if you like. We we got the the call early this year of Yam's theme for this summer was going to be the Cold War, mm. and to be the centerpiece of that, they wanted to use Buccaneer XV one six eight, which was the ex Bruff Gateguard, the only the only books to fly back into um, Bruff. But she was looking a bit sad and tired, so all of a sudden it was all hands to the deck. Uh, all my team joined him. Scott he looks after the Buccaneers, but he also comes and does a lot of work with us. So it was basically time to pay him back. So we just downed tools on the meteor and we spent a few weeks rubbing the meteor, uh, the buccaneer back and getting her up and running and looking good. So, yeah, we, we do stuff with that. Um, recently, we've sort of taken over the, the mantle of being ground crew on the, the live buccaneer we have. We had our first Thunder Day where we were actually running it as a team mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and that went very well. So and then there's the Shackleton down at Coventry as well, which were in the midst of dismantling and bringing north, because she's coming to join us at Elvington. And that should be nice when uh, we bring her up north, because mm. it means I don't have to go all the way to Cov. Mm. It's a long drive for me, yeah? I can imagine. <laughs> it's a fair old yeah. You know, shout out for the for the Victor as, as well, of course, which is just absolutely great mm. that that's still running. And, yeah, I had a lot of good years Ian, on that. Ian's on the forum as well, isn't he? Uh, mm. uh, who, yeah, uh, crew, crew chief on the on the Victor. But, it, it, I mean, it, that's that's... 
a special thing about Yorkshire Museum is live aircraft. Yeah, of um, it yeah. really, really is. It's it's one of the very special things about that place. It's as I said the other week when we had Thunder Day. It's the only place you can go in this country and you can see stuff running from the very earliest days. You've, we've got stuff like the SE5 record and things like that, all the way through to the Buccaneer and the Victor. Mm. In the middle there, you've got heavy pistons, you've got the DAC. You know, it's such a broad spectrum of live, live stuff we've got. Um, all being well next year, we'll have effectively a four-engine heavy bomber running, you know, the shack. Nowhere else can offer that spectrum of live stuff. Um, there's lots of museums where you can go and see all those. And, mm. you know, I really do not want to put them down at all. The likes of Newark and that absolutely fantastic places. But if you can run that aircraft, even if you can just run lights on it or something, yeah, you've got something yeah. a little bit more you're offering. And it just inspires, I like to think it just inspires visitors a little bit more. And they go, ooh, a little bit more at it. Rather than walking past shiny but dead aeroplanes, it catches your attention more. It's to my mind, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's action, isn't it? It's mm. um, they're alive. Um, mm. You know, un- undoubtedly, it is a special thing, and mm. you know, all very expensive to run. They can't do it all the time, but but oh, you no. know, when when yeah. you can, it is superb and really yeah. appreciated. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, really it's is good. Yeah, I mean, it was a really weird thing because obviously I was involved with the Victor when we were, when and we were running her, but I hadn't been in, in involved in a live aircraft for a little while well where i haven't been sat inside it um and when we ran the buccaneer the other week i was on the long lead outside so i was again still isolated but then i watched a couple of videos back when they popped up on youtube and the applause and the cheers that went up after we ran it was a lot it was a bit of a moment of whoa hang on yeah it was a little bit of a, hang on just let me just compute this one for a mm. second you don't realize what effect it has because you're, you're focusing on what you're doing yeah of course I mean, if, if I'm in something like the Shackleton, you certainly don't hear it from in there. <laughs> no, I can imagine. Well, I, I've I've lucky enough to see. Well, I saw the one Coventry uh, run many years ago. Although obviously, yeah, it's going to be yours now. Um, and then I saw a few years ago the one at Gatwick running. Mm. Yeah, and it's something else, isn't it? It is something it is. else. The sound it's... of those Griffins, just the whole world is just vibrating. It's it's ridiculous. It... It is something I, I will never forget. I've been privileged to it a number of times now, but I will never forget that feeling of feet hard on the brakes, yoke back, and winding on 2350 on all four, 45 inches of boost. <laughs> and the aeroplane is just bouncing, and you can feel the thing wants to go. And you've got your feet hard on the brakes. I say you've got the yoke hard back, and she's just bouncing and shaking. And it's it's amazing feeling. Uh, one of the best ones was the, it was the first night sh- uh night run we did we did um, a night run with i think it was a threshold aero um yeah it was it was a threshold mm. and i was in left hand seat for that one and once we've got all four started and settled you know temperatures up on them right give her a bit of power here and um, wound her on and i was just aware of this glow coming over my left shoulder i thought shit we're on fire I looked around and, nope, it was the good fire. Yeah, it was the really, yeah. really good fire. All the exhaust was just glowing beautifully. Lovely flame out the back of them. I was like, yeah, that's kind of special. So, uh, Pete, I think Pete Curran was in the right-hand seat, and I said to him, just take you a second. So he did. So I grabbed my phone off the top of the instrument combing, slammed the side window up, and did like a Hail Mary photo attempt. Phone back on combing, window back shut, carry on doing what we're doing. Looked at it after, I was like, Bloody hell. <laughs> it was that good, it's now a canvas framed on my wall. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> but it's a massive privilege to get to do the things we do. It's a, it's a thing It's a thing I very much try to be aware of. You know, you walk, even walking to that hangar, walking past the Halifax, 
you can't just take that for granted. It's it's special. Yeah. You know, always always give a little pat as you walk past her. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, the meteor's me, me sort of my main thing at the minute until we bring the shack up and then we've got to concentrate on putting her back together. But, so yeah. d- does that put you on a deadline to finish the meteor then? How how no. many years do you reckon's no. left in it now? You, you can't put a deadline on it when you think some weeks will be maybe two or three days and then other weeks we don't mm-hmm. touch her. Um, mm. depending on work and nature it. being a volunteer isn't it there's, mm. yeah there's a small matter of life gets in the way I mean my, my better half she she does quite like to see me now and again <laughs> I think it's just to make sure I'm alive um, but yeah <laughs> she, she quite likes to see me occasionally um, and yeah you, you just you know you, you've got to strike some sort of work life museum balance it's a, it's a three way balance of course but uh, I, I, anybody asks me when the meet is done I'll say it's done when it's done you, you can't put a deadline on it you can't put a I need to be done by then. It? I mean, I I can imagine with those kind of things, they're never actually done anyway, are they? There'll always no, be something uh, else, something. No, I mean, you, when, you find a new part, replacement part, or. Well, there'll be a time when it transitions with seven eight eight from being a restoration project to a running aircraft, mm. and then you've got to keep doing all the maintenance and things to keep it alive in the aircraft. So it'll never be a case of right, we can put the tools down and mm. throw the dust sheets over, and we're done. There'll always be some, as you say, something to do on the aircraft. Be it when we get to the point of right now, we're running daily maintenance checks, all that sort of thing. So it's it's an unanswerable question that one, really. <laughs> no, I, I I love the fact that you haven't got a a plan to beat yourself up with, or or, no. or a date or a deadline or anything like that, of because course. it is the pure pleasure of doing it. Then hmm. um, pleasure. What is the pleasure of which you speak? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see how much pleasure you get out of it. It's uh, it's something, as I say, that I, I don't think everybody's wired up that way to be able to to just stick at it for that long and well, that's it, be it? able to visualise the end game and be able to bring it back to, to its potential is amazing, really. It has, it has to be the joy of tinkering and the joy of just having yeah. something to work on because yeah. if if, you know, if you say, but what, eight, eight years now? With... That with that with a plane that's still you know got a, a lot mm. of stuff to do, it's a lot of one people of the, wouldn't be able to stick with it that long. One of the beauties of it is there's no pressure. Um, it's not like I mean I used to as I say I used to do stuff with classic cars. I used to run them as my everyday cars, and I'd have the thing on a Sunday if I had to fix it, otherwise I couldn't get to work on Monday morning. Mm. With the jets, <laughs> if you can't fix it that day, you go yeah sod it. Mm. I'll come back next week and do that. So. There's no pressure from that from that point of view. It's 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 good. It's laid back working. If something's defined, you just say, "Well, sod you." Then you go do something else. Odds on, when you come back to that job, it'll just it'll play nice, you know, right as right as you like. Yeah, sure. okay, fair enough. I'll I'll play along with you now. But uh, yeah, she's she's starting. You're starting to see now how she's going to be coming through. I mean, we've just had two months where we've had to come out of the hangar because they had to rehang all the aircraft that were hung up in there. They uh, cables and winches on the changing servicing plus some events and so while she was outside we got a lot of the riveting done and we also did quite a bit of the paintwork so now the the back half of the aircraft is completely finished and painted and you look at it and think yeah you can now start to see how she's going to be you know with a really really quiet and inconspicuous bright silver and day glow colour scheme that she's going to wear yeah <laughs> She's not going to stand out amongst all of the camouflage aircraft in the museum at all. <laughs> <laughs> People aren't, aren't going to ever be able to go and go, oh, yeah, it's just another green and grey aeroplane. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, like a Mirage 4. 
Oh, you, can't <laughs> you can't see that thing on a dull day. <laughs> no, I guess not. Yeah, but it's it's one of it's a weird thing how that aeroplane has gone from being a an aeroplane. I just looked at and thought, well, I feel sorry for it. I need to fix it. To, it's got under my skin. To, mm. I now drink up every bit of its history. You know, mm. things like when the guys at Patrickton decided to take her to the pub, things like that. They'd all been to Patrickton Village pub one night. Come back to. Um, Aria Patrington and looked at the, the meteor, sat there on the gate and went, poor thing, she never gets to go anywhere. So they started pushing her down into the village, off off the chocks, off the little plinches on, started pushing her into the village. And this went fine until they got to a, a drainage culvert under the road and the main wheels went through it. So then RAF Irks being what RAF Irks do, they all just thinned out and legged it. <laughs> and that station commander came into work next day and came around the corner and found himself face to face with his meteor. <laughs> in the middle of the road <laughs> and nobody knew anything about it I know like, oh, no, nothing to do with makeup <laughs> so she got craned out with this hill she'd made lifted back onto the plinth and um, very securely bolted down after that yeah I can imagine <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the one thing I didn't mention and it is only a little short thing is her little her one little claim to fame was she flew with the RAF Yellow Jacks display team oh really oh really yeah. oh wow yeah. When the Yellow Jacks had their um, first season, well, was it their only season? I think they only had one, didn't they? Did they yeah. They needed for the publicity material for it, they needed um, aerial shots of them doing what the Yellow Jacks do. Um, and the only aircraft that were in the RAF that they could use to take those photographs, or the best, most stable ones, I could think of, were, well, we've still got some NF-14s lying around, haven't mm. we? Why don't we use them? And so they went and got in touch with their navigation school, and they said, well, we'll send you our two best best flying aircraft, you know, because obviously all aircraft fly differently. After 10, 12 years in service, they all get a bit dented and battered and some of them fly a bit better than others. And they sent 788. And she flew with them for about a week out of um, out of Arif Valley. And if you see any air-to-air shots of the Yellow Jacks from their publicity material, they were taken from the rear cockpit of 788. Wow. So <laughs> that's, 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 his, that's his 788. Something like that. That is her her one nearly famous. Wow! <laughs> well, and then there is the famous airways of the of the of the yellow jacks going over the top of that loop, isn't there? Which is mm. the, the picture you see all the time. Yeah, yeah. So that that'll probably have been taken from seven eight eight. Well, how so. about that? that yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that's her a nearly very, famous. That's a great. Well, you need to put that that one of those pictures up next to it then. I've, yeah, I do need to find one. There was another good story I was told, and it was by one of the chaps who he was a volunteer at our place a chap called Mal Adams, and he was one of the guys who saved her off the fire dump originally at Leeming. And they had a, a detachment of, I think it was German phantoms, he told me, that were on exercise at Leeming at the time. And they were just taxiing out to do, do a, a sortie. And at the same time, they were towing 788 on these barely holding air tyres with two damaged wings, faded paintwork, uh, jammed cockpit, and this, that and the other. Um, and they were towing this along and the Germans had to hold while 788 got towed past them <laughs> and apparently the, the looks on the Germans faces at this old meteor being towed past them was uh, quite something to see uh, so yeah we'll have it ready in half an hour and you'll be going up against it <laughs> <laughs> and I think on that note thank you very much for coming on Graham I hope it's been enjoyable and it's been absolutely yeah. fascinating to hear about WS 788 Thanks. So thank you for everybody on, on UCAR who follows us um, out there in the wider aircraft world. Everybody who supported us, brought us parts, Jaffa cakes, 
moral support, banter, more jaffa cakes. Well, I guess that's thank the thing. You, that, thank you all. Next time you go to Yorkshire Air Museum, if you're listening, you you got to bring a packet of jaffa cakes with you. We had that that's happen the rule on now. <laughs> Sunday, I think it was Sunday. A chap came in who oh, brilliant. Re- reads on on Facebook and on UCAR, and he said, "Here you are. I've got to bring jaffa cakes apparently." So. Yeah, it's the first. It's the first thing I think of when I think of your media. <laughs> so there you go. Well, it's a shame McVitie's don't seem interested. When you when you think how much orange there's going to be on the jet, it's a shame McVitie's aren't interested in sponsoring this. <laughs> <laughs> hints, hints, McVitie's. Yeah, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't know what the crossover is between Ucar uh, and McVitie's publish publish the uh, publicity office. Well. The meteor team who are on Yuka eat Jaffa cakes. Surely that's enough. It's a, it's a slam dunk. I don't know what they're they don't know what they're missing done, out on. Done deal, isn't it? <laughs> um, while we're on about it, Beakstons. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think of a tenuous link on that one. There must be one. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on. Been really, really cool. Really interesting. Another episode uh, about museums. Um, and yeah, if you're in the area, if you're heading up there specifically, do drop in on Yam and uh, go see the meteor and mm. everything else there, of course. Yeah, um, she's back in the naughty corner in the hangar. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been another episode of the UK Asia Review podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at UK Asia Review. We have our website airshows.co.uk where you can read all of our reviews and uh, feature articles and then of course we have our forums which we've mentioned where Graham keeps his uh, thread updated on the progress of 788 which is forums.airshows.co.uk thank you for listening and see you in another episode goodbye <laughs>